This is Inside the Apple Studio, the podcast that details the intersection of architecture and Apple and explores how architects and other design professionals use Apple products in the practice of architecture. With your host, architect Neil Pan. On October 18, 2021, Apple held their second event within the last month. This event, titled Unleashed, was quick and only about two things, music and the Mac. In this special episode of Inside the Apple Studio, Atan Rubini, a certified Macintosh consultant and owner of Mac Zen, joins me to discuss the announcements. Atan, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks for joining me again to cover this second Apple event of late 2021. Before we get started, I want to remind the listeners we're recording this shortly after the presentation, so be sure to check out the Apple for Architects Facebook group for more information as it gets revealed throughout the rest of this week. So, Atan, two products, basically, music and the Mac. So first up was music. So the first thing that I have notes on is a new, what they call the voice plan for $4.99 to access the full Apple Music catalog, but only through your voice. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work yet, but to me, it sounds like this is a way for Apple to basically cut the price of an Apple Music subscription in half. Yeah, I was. Um, it was one of those things when I started. Uh, I was getting all my notes ready. I was getting everything set up so that I could actually take some, you know, voluminous notes as we were going through. And I'm, I'm listening to it, and I had to do a double take and voice. But did he actually say voice plan? What does that mean? So, yes, essentially for people who um, are only using things like uh, HomePod Minis or. You know, even if they're just walking around with their headphones and they don't necessarily need to have the whole iTunes-esque music experience where you're building your own playlists um, and managing your own libraries and things like that, um, Voice Plan essentially, it seems, allows you to be able to access uh, what they're referring to as thousands of curated mood-based playlists. So, for example, if you you know, which I'm sure a lot of people already do. Uh, if you want to uh, play a playlist for dinner music or something like that, you can just ask Siri for something like that. Um, you know, it's we'll probably come up against this a couple of times as we talk today, but it's one of those things like Apple always makes it sounds like they're reinventing something. <laughs> you know, Spotify has been doing this for, you know, the better part of, well, ever since they ever came out. Um, you know, to have these, you know, really great playlists to listen from. Um, but yeah, they're trying to give the experience to that kind of experience to uh, a different set of people and open it up to all the people who are uh, casually using services like Spotify. Well, I think it'll be a good option. And Apple does always often make you think that they're reinventing something, but that's a little bit of what this sounded like. So anyway, the next item up was the HomePod Mini. Not a whole lot to really talk about here other than three new colors of the HomePod Mini, an orange, a yellow, and a blue. Nice. Well, you know, I think for those who are a little bored with the black and white sterility um, and who are enjoying things like the new iMacs, I think it's a, a lovely addition. Add a little pop 
a little color to your AV setup. You know, for those of uh, those people out there who want to use HomePod Minis as two paired stereo uh, devices beside their Apple TV-based um, media center, nice little addition. Have, having a little splash of color, I think, is nice. What's interesting about this is that Apple seems to be adding color back to not only their computers with the iMacs and now with the HomePod Mini. And so there seems to be a push in differentiating the products by colors and adding a little bit more fun. Now, we didn't quite see that with the new MacBook Pros today, but I have a theory about that. We'll we'll see if it's true or not, or we may never see if it's true or not. But I, I think this is a great addition. I've I've seen some already comments saying, hey, I want to get a blue one. I think that'll go really well with my decor or something like that. So yay, Apple. Well, they're definitely targeting the consumer market. Most audiophiles would never even, you know, look over their shoulder uh, at a HomePod MIDI anyway, you know. So when it comes to that level of um, buy-in, it's a totally different crowd. It's definitely appealing to the more whimsical, more um, more casual use kind of people. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit the last time we were on uh, to do with... Uh, you know, how Apple is keeping older products in their lineup. I think it speaks uh, fantastically to their supply chain uh, control and how much control they actually have over the number of units they're producing, that they can actually take risks with colors like this and not really worry about having too much inventory left over. You know, just in terms of gauging initial interest right off the bat, you've got this whole uh, this whole week or so where people are just all of a sudden rushing on and putting their orders in they're going to have a very good idea projected of of what kind of what kind of things people are interested in so they don't have to overproduce on any of this stuff and it gives them a lot of ability to be able to take some risks especially on these lower end models well i definitely think that it shows that the homepod mini is a product that apple's going to stick behind this time instead of the original homepod which came out and then nothing happened for almost 3 years until the homepod mini came out I think this tells us that the HomePod mini is the right product at the right price. And now it's time to add to that product. And I think that certainly is what the colors means by introducing them. Yeah. I mean, it certainly makes the whole of uh, whole experience very affordable. And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why they even uh, introduced this voice plan is they just saw how much interest there was in people buying these HomePod minis and, they said, okay, well, you know what, let's get another five bucks a month out of these people and uh, and give them access to all that music because there's no chance that Spotify was ever going to be coming out on the HomePod minis, right? That was never going to happen. So uh, giving people the ability to be able to do that and pairing these two together, I don't think it it's 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 no shock, really, that they would actually juxtapose these two together. Continuing the music theme here, they in next introduced a third generation AirPod. And these are very similar to the AirPod Pros as far as the design is concerned, other than they don't have the foam tips or not the foam, but the plastic tips on them to kind of uh, work in the uh, active noise cancellation feature, which doesn't exist on these. But much of the other features that come with the AirPod Pros are in these new AirPods. 
And I think also a significant battery life increase. Uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, this was the thing that actually really shocked me. Six hours? Yeah. Did I hear that correctly? Six hours of battery life in the, AirPo in the AirPods themselves. Uh, and then um, 30 hours total. So basically five full charges. Right. Uh, and even five minutes will give you an hour. Of, uh, of audio if you just need a quick charge as you're running out the door. Um, you know, my AirPods Pro, they were a huge hit for me. They literally sit in my jeans lighter pocket all the time. I can guarantee that they're always always going to be there. Uh, they've really become, um, for me, one of the most important uh, segues into the augmented reality market. And, you know, when you're talking about some of these features like transparency, which allows you to be able to hear the outside uh, audio in, you get this really immersive experience, uh, particularly with the spatial audio with uh, dynamic head tracking. There are so many times when I'll be just listening to music and I will, uh, I will wonder whether I'm waking people up in the middle of the night because it sounds like it's literally in the room and I can't tell. I literally have to take my headphone out uh, to try and determine if uh, if it's actually coming from my headphones or not. It sounds so realistic sometimes that um, it can be a little bit confusing, but what an experience, you know. So for them to be able to bring that down from the AirPods Pro and put that into the AirPods, I think opens up a whole new experience for people, uh, especially with some of the stuff they're going to they're going to be coming out with. Have you ever used any any headphones with that dynamic uh, head tracking, listening to the spatial audio? It's quite an experience. Yeah, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I have not, unfortunately. I have the first generation AirPod, and unfortunately, the the battery life in those is only about forty five minutes now. So when these first were announced and were available on the store, I have to admit, I went ahead and ordered one. I'm not as much interested because I use these mostly when I run. And I know that it has the AirPod Pro has the ability to let the sound in from outside, but I'm more interested in these uh, so that they're not sealed into my ears and I'm using those features. And so these, these really spoke to me and are devices that I think will be most relevant to me. So I'm looking forward to the spatial audio effect on these. And they do offer an hour, an additional hour. The AirPods 2 or original AirPods only were advertised at five hours, I believe. And I think one of the caveats though, you mentioned the uh, quick charging feature. I believe if I read uh, correctly on the Apple site that you have to be using the, um, I could be wrong about this, but the MagSafe uh, charging device in order to get that additional quick charge for an hour of battery life with only five minutes of charging. Oh, no, that's just directly from the case. If you like, if you, so if you're using the headphones, okay. you've used them for six hours and it's dead and you're running out the door just to go for a run, put them in the case for five minutes. They'll, the charge that they get into the headphones from the case. Okay. We'll give you, we'll give you an hour. Well, I think that's going to be fantastic because, uh, that, that'll be really very, very helpful. And I'm also looking forward to the additional sweat and water resistant features that come in these. I know they're in the AirPods Pro as well. Uh, so it's nice that they brought those down to this level. So I'm looking forward to getting mine. They should be here in a week. So 
I'll be able to try out that spatial audio when I'm running. Although I don't know, I listen to podcasts typically when I run, so uh, that probably won't have any spatial audio effects, but uh, I'll have to switch up and listen to some music for a change to, to experience that. Music, TV shows, most most audio. I was even listening to uh, YouTube videos, uh, a YouTube video on my Mac uh, mm -hmm. the other day, and sure enough, turning my head, and it sounds like it's coming straight from the straight from the device itself. So yeah, really strange experience, but quite wonderful. I'll look forward to it. So the big news of the day was the Mac. And they kind of sounded like, oh, we're going to introduce several Mac items, but really it was just the MacBook Pros, only two. So maybe that's why they, you know, they said it was plural and we did get two and that's it. I was kind of hoping maybe a redesigned Mac mini I didn't think that we had any chance at a new larger iMac because that just hasn't been rumored at all. We've we've heard nothing about that. So that's clearly an item for 2022. I was holding out for that one too, but I had a, I had a friend who texted me straight away, very disappointed that they didn't come out with a new Mini. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it looks like the new Mini's uh, another 2022 product. Yeah, something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, but my gosh, what a torrent of information! I, I know I've said it to you a couple of times to, today already, and we're just repeating it for the podcast. But my God, the amount of detail that they just threw at you was insane. It was numbers, numbers, numbers. Uh, it was almost like a science lesson in computing. Um, but and you know, with obviously with amazing graphics to uh, you know to boot. It was it was quite a show. I was literally left dazzled and writing down as much as I possibly could in the time that we had available before they actually moved on to something else. Well, as I said at the top of the show, it was a quick event. Uh, by my count, it was only 50 minutes. Uh -huh. And for them to cover this much material in 50 minutes uh, was a, was rapid pace. So yeah. I, I, like yourself, took some notes here and... I want to first give an initial impression, and that is, I think Apple, after taking a year, has finally excised Intel from most of their products, except really two, the larger iMac, which we mentioned a moment ago, and the Mac Pro. Uh -huh. And beyond that, everything else. So their biggest selling product, as far as the Mac is concerned, is the MacBook Pro. And so Absolutely. for them to come out with a MacBook Pro that essentially, in my mind, meets all the requirements that they needed to, to hit, it supports up to 64 gigabytes of, of what Apple's calling unified memory. I think one of the questions, and they really answered it today in the presentation, which was, what's Apple going to do about discrete graphics cards? Because that in the pro market, uh, and I'm not as familiar with the audio or video, but on the architecture side, the pro market is all about the discrete graphics cards in pushing 3D rendering and visualization. And although Apple's not been a big player in this yet, but in VR as well. And so I think that was a big question mark is how is Apple going to take these chips that they're designing? Because as we saw last year with the M1, everything is unified. And, the, and we saw the benefits of that. 
But there was still the question, could Apple deliver a GPU that is going to meet or exceed the discrete graphics performance that we see in the previous MacBooks and then and also just in the competition on the PC side? And I think they really answered a lot of those questions. You've got enough memory. You've got enough cores. I think if I, I don't know if I have the exact, maybe you can help me on this one. I think they go up to 32 cores on the GPU. Yeah. And they have a 10 core processor uh, just to start with, and then up to 32. And I think that's on the, the M1 Max model of chip. You know, I, I always I always like to take a step back and look at some of the bigger pictures. And, um, you know, you mentioned uh, right off the bat with these, they hit a lot of points with these MacBook Pros. It's almost like without actually saying we've made a few mistakes, without saying we've listened to our users and we're doing what they really want, they really have brought back every tiny little detail that has been irking uh, professional users for a long time. Lack of a MagSafe, uh, lack of a, you know, an HDMI port, you know, the, the, the common sense that, you know, if you're going to be toting around one of these things, you need to be able to hook it up to a display or a monitor without necessarily having, uh, you know, a whole bevy of adapters. Um, getting rid of the touch bar, you know, the number of times that um, I've been filling in forms and then my little pinky has accidentally just kind of rested a little too close to the escape button is a big thing for me. And, you know, the last generations of MacBook Pros, they took out that escape key and put back in a physical one. You know, they're, they are listening. Uh, but when it comes to the actual chips, you also have to have a look at uh, their... Uh, Apple always won't they, Apple will never do anything without trying to figure out how they can maximize on every single angle of their marketing. And uh, energy and power consumption is a huge one. It's not just about battery life. It's all about responsibility to the environment as well. And, you know, we've seen with the Bitcoin and the abuse of graphics cards and how much it, how much it actually costs to run things like a, a Bitcoin mining farm. Uh, GPUs are a big power hungry suck and one of the one of the uh, points that they actually brought forward was because the discrete GPU is separate traditionally from the actual CPU itself a lot of power has to be wasted and a lot of performance has to be wasted shunting data backwards and forwards between video memory and CPU uh, and the RAM and CPU cache right so in answer to what you were saying before, yes, Apple has shown us a roadmap for what they're going to be doing because now that they have this uh, system on a chip architecture, they can just bolt on as many GPUs as they want right inside of the of the main CPU architecture and that whole system. They save massive amounts of energy um, and and they dramatically are able to increase the performance. And all they have to do is they just go from 16 to 32 and now that everything's condensed into this small space they have this enormous motherboard that they can actually grow into essentially without actually needing it from the 30,000 foot level to something that has been a question at least from the past year and and before the the apple silicon once they when they first announced apple silicon everybody was like well what are they going to name the chips 
And we got that answer last year, M1. Okay, makes sense. Mac, first chip. Okay, great. Now we're a year into this. And then the question was, are they going to do something like the iPhone, where it's the A14X that they were putting in the... um, iPad Pros, yeah. Yeah, in the iPad Pros. So the question was, are we going to see an M1X then for the MacBooks? And I think what was interesting about that is Apple's by if you just use the M1X title, you're kind of like, okay, well, now we've got this graphics enhanced M1 chip. But then what happens with the M2, right? I mean, how is that? So do you get an M2? you know, a newer generation, is that going to be faster than an M1X or is it slow? I mean, there was, I don't know, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense, but there was some questions about, because there were rumors earlier, like, okay, we'll see an, a MacBook Air in early 2022, perhaps, and it's going to mm-hmm. use an M2. Right. Well, then it's like, okay, well, but is the M2 faster than the, than the, uh, than the M1? or M1X. And I still think they have maybe that conundrum because if they come out with an M2 next year that say goes into their entry-level machines, then they do have a naming problem of, okay, but an M2 is not as powerful as an M1 Pro or an M1 Pro or M1 Max, they called it. So I do think they may still have that. I'm sure they have this figured out on how they're going to handle this. But I do think it's interesting that Instead of seeing that similar naming that we saw with the iPad Pros with the X added to it, is that we have an M1 Pro chip and an M1 Max chip, which kind of follows in a similar naming convention as their as their iPhones. You have an uh, iPhone, an iPhone Pro, and an iPhone Max. I mean, I have to go back and have a look at uh, the M1. Uh, I mean, the M1s basically were an eight core, right? Yes. So. Uh, it looks like you've got the M, uh, then you've got the one, which is the generation, right? And then you've got these additional variants, which are just multiples of cores, right? So uh, with a 10 core on these things, which has got eight performance cores and two efficiency cores, um, we're, so we are seeing a similar kind of model in terms of how they're actually building these things out. And uh, just as a point of comparison, uh, you know, when we were talking about the A5, uh, A15 Bionic uh, in the iPhones, um, when the initial benchmarks started coming out for the iPhones, uh, I was looking at the benchmarks that I was getting off of my 2019 uh, 15.4 Core i9, right? So this is a 12, I have to double check, I think it's a, I think it's a 10 core yeah 10 core or 12 core I can't even remember now um but the the performance on a single core performance between the i9 and it was top of the line i9 and uh the a15 bionic on a single core are matched pretty close right so here we've got an iphone that is on a single core performance level as fast as my top of the line intel macbook pro from two years ago the only difference between uh, my MacBook Pro and this uh, and this iPhone 13 was the fact that uh, my laptop had two extra cores. If it didn't have those two extra cores, it wouldn't be an issue, 
but the phone was literally beating out this i9 um and they've got this they basically what it means is they i guess the long the short answer to that question if it was even a question before was that all they have to do is bolt on additional cores they've got the architecture to be able to just plug these things in they've got lots of space to work with uh, and it's so modular the way they've made it they can just add these elements into their system on a chip and just explode the performance off of these things well they definitely did talk about i uh, have a note here 70 percent faster cpu performance than the m1 so if the M1 was already trouncing the Intel chips that were coming in the lower end max and, and, and almost matching the performance of the higher end Intel max that were available for, at least in the MacBooks, now we're talking 70% more performance on top of that. I mean, these are going to completely blow the doors, if you will, off of the uh, you know, anything Intel had produced for Apple before. And you're right. It's a 10 core chip with uh, eight high performance cores, two efficiency cores in the pro, or actually I think in uh, across the board. And then the yeah. difference there is that the pro has a 16 core GPU uh, in it. And I think the, the max is even, even more than 32. that. It's yeah, 32, so right? 24 or 32 for the GPUs in the right. build out. You know, but the the big thing is is that these uh, the memory uh, what they refer to as the memory bandwidth. This is basically how much data they can move across the backplane of the chip. Um, and they're they're talking they're talking two hundred gigabytes per second. Right. You know, so just as a frame of reference for all of the all of you traditionalists out there who are familiar with you know what DVDs brought to the table, an average DVD was you know, 4.7 uh, gigabytes in size. You know, this is before Blu-ray and everything like that. But, you know, that's 40, 40, 40, times, those, 40 yeah. DVDs a second being moved across um, across yeah. inside the CPU. It, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And, and you know, a lot of people talked about, uh, have been detractors about the whole concept of using unified memory. Uh, and you know not being able to add on additional memory to these things um but you have to understand that they're also pairing these things with um ultra fast ssds as well you know the ssds are are doing 7.4 gigabytes per second read times uh i don't know they didn't say anything about what the write times are but uh if you understand how ram works normally when uh when the system is running out of ram it will it has a very highly evolved process of compressing uh, the RAM and dumping it to the SSD for virtual memory. You know, so those kind of write performance on the SSDs augment unified memory. So, you know, 64 gig is a lot to play with uh, for most people, and um, uh, definitely even at the pro level, because the the 64 gigabytes is available both to the cpu and to the gpu simultaneously it means that the memory is scalable in either direction the performance on these just seem off the charts i mean the the other thing that apple did that many complained about with the original m1 was single monitor support a max of 16 gigabytes of unified memory and then of course a, a more limited gpu core and they've pretty much solved all of those issues now with the M1 Pro. 
up to 32 gigabytes of unified memory, 16 core GPU, uh, as you mentioned, also to the 200 gigabyte memory bandwidth. So they're moving information through the chip much, much faster than you could do across a, a, a regular circuit board between discrete and separate memories. And you know, I don't mean to sound like I really know what I'm talking about there, but it, it certainly sounds impressive. And according to you know the numbers, they also gave us uh, dual monitor support with the Pro chip. And according to their charts here, I mean, CPU performance versus power is beyond an eight-core PC laptop chip. Now, they're always saying laptop chip. So I, I understand they're trying to compare apples to apples. F- forget the, uh, uh, the pun there. But, uh, you know, these are obviously not being compared to a desktop PC. But when you're talking about a laptop PC, an eight-core laptop PC, they're, they're one, almost two times the performance and only 30 watts of power consumption compared to you know, almost twice that, over 60 with an eight-core chip. And right. so you know, that, that alone, I think what that ultimately all those numbers and those you know, two Xs and, and three Xs, what that really means is that you're going to be able to do things. And I think we saw this a little bit when they started to talk about the applications and other software vendors. We're just saying that they're seeing performance that, and they're able to do things that they just couldn't do before. Yeah, and I think a, a key component of this too, and you know, it comes back to this whole thing about being able to uh, have full control over the software and the hardware integration, and you know why no one can do it like Apple does. I mean, we're going to see a lot of breakdown over the next little while. Um, I already saw on Gizmodo today, people were talking about the type of graphics cards they were referencing uh, in various laptops. Uh, But it all boils down to the power. And um, what they're able to do, uh, because they have this tight control, uh, is is really leverage uh, and outsource some of the things that may have historically also taxed the system. Uh, they have a, a media engine component bolted onto these CPUs, which are uh, have for the last few years had hardware accelerated H.264, which is the codec for uh, codec for uh, um, uh, codec for uh, standard video compression. But they're also putting in hardware accelerated ProRes and ProRes RAW, and they even came in uh, came out so far as to say that the the media engine that does the uh, ProRes uh, encoding hardware accelerated is equivalent to what they've got inside their own Mac Pro. So who knows what they're going to bring down the line with that in the future. But the very fact that a lot of this, uh, the video decoding and encoding uh, from an output perspective, input-output perspective, um, is significant because it doesn't have to tax the GPU at all. The GPU can just be left just to crunch numbers on rendering. So you get between the two of those, you get uh, you get this beautiful kind of almost real time um, uh, perspective on uh, on how uh, production uh, artists and production developers can actually take advantage of some of these tools in real time. And they had these uh, video segments that looked really well produced. My favorite part of the whole presentation was those, uh, the developer, uh, the part where they asked the developers to talk about, you know, what they're able to do with these things, you know. Uh, it's always been fun to watch those. But this time, the graphics was just 
mind-blowing. And you never really know exactly as a, a layperson when it comes to that kind of stuff. I don't. I have nothing to do with um, VR and augmented reality and 3D rendering and those kind of things. I know it's definitely in your ballpark, um, but some of the tools that they were showing uh, and what they were doing uh, with the hardware was very impressive. Uh, and I've got no idea how much of it was actually like real time and how much they were able to actually uh, really pull off uh, yeah. with these, but they made it look, they made it sound like it was, everything was real time and rendering speeds are just a thing of the past now. Something I thought was interesting that I haven't seen Apple do before, or if they have, I don't recall, but they also compared the GPU and maybe even the CPU performance when their laptops are plugged in or on battery. And the on battery part, I thought was very interesting in that they showed that the M1 Max and Pro GPUs do not degrade their performance when they're on the on battery only. And they showed a couple of charts that showed what uh, the PCs are doing when they're on battery and how the performance drops by over two and a half times that, you know, so if you're, I mean, the message there is that if you're on a Mac and you're on your battery and you're trying to do some rendering or other things, and you've got this uh, fancy, in fact, the, the high-end PC laptop data that they were testing was an MSI uh, Raider. I'm not sure about the names there, but I know MSI is a high-end PC laptop. I had one in the former office I worked in. And the, G, and the graphics card that they were comparing it to was the Razer Blade 15 Advanced. And... So I'm sure there are different models of these that could probably push that performance a little differently. And I'm sure Apple chooses the best one they can to, to, why wouldn't they? But I think at the end of the day, what they're trying to say is that whether you're plugged in or on battery, the performance of these machines isn't going to change. And you're going to get two to three times the performance when you're either plugged in or on the battery. And the battery life, of course, is off the charts on these as well, much longer than in previous previous models. And a couple other things I pulled out was they they have a stat in their uh, press release that talks about 2.1 times faster publishing performance in VectorWorks, which is a popular CAD and BIM application that runs on the Mac. So over two times faster on that, and two and a half times faster rendering. In Cinema 4D with Redshift with the M1 Pro and up to four times faster with the also the Redshift Cinema 4D using the uh, M1 Max. So for rendering, when it comes to architectural presentations and things, you're looking two and a half to four times faster performance with these machines. And so I think this is something I me- had mentioned, I think when uh, talking about the original M1 chips earlier this summer was that I I was hoping that the move to Apple Silicon would open up performance capabilities with Apple's Macs that would help bring in some vendors that weren't traditionally on the Mac. And we've already started to see that. And I'll just mention briefly, and I don't have all the data on it, but I know within the last week or two, 
uh, Enscape has announced that they're bringing their 3D rendering and walkthrough capability and VR capabilities to the Mac next year. And that's, to my knowledge, is like the first time that's happened. So what I had kind of predicted or maybe hoped for with Apple moving to their own silicon is slowly beginning to happen. And I know recently on a recent episode, I talked to the CTO at Vectorworks and they mentioned how they basically rebuilt their graphics engine to run on metal. And the whole reason for that was to take advantage ultimately of what Apple's doing with these M1 chips and the Apple Silicon chips. And they mentioned it in their press release, you know, two times faster publishing performance. Now, I don't know exactly what publishing performance means, but ultimately, I think what we're going to see, and as the CTO mentioned to me in that episode, was that things were just happening so much faster. I think he mentioned on his M1 Mac Pro that the application opened in like 15 seconds. And, and on his Intel machine, it was like well over a minute. Whew. So <laughs> it was a huge difference. And everything that they were doing on these machines were just so much snappier. And so to see Apple come out with these new chips, the Pro and the Max versions, I think that performance is going to get even better. Well, you know, I think Apple has worked really hard and they put, uh, they put up with a lot of guff uh, over the last decade for professional from professional users uh, it's a long long standing uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for um dissatisfaction that professional users have had with the max because they feel like you know they've had to pay exorbitant uh prices for things uh and yet haven't necessarily been uh receiving as much love necessarily uh as you know, as would warrant for them. And, you know, I think Apple's worked pretty hard to kind of win back that crowd because at the end of the day, when it comes, uh, when it comes to production, you know, the old adage that time is money, uh, really has, you know, has a a lot of relevance here. And like I said, it it remains to be seen how these actually stack up against high-end workstations, uh, you know, what you would have to build out in order to compete with these. We don't have the Mac Pro yet uh, with this chipset in it, so that remains to be seen as well. Um, but to see uh, to see them winning back developers uh, and getting them to showcase some of this stuff, uh, I think is great. It's great news, and even seeing Vectorworks uh, listed right there on the on the main. Uh, on the main page about these new Mac Pro, so you can actually compare what some of the stats. I mean, there are, you know, for CPU performance, they're referencing Xcode, they're referencing NASA TetraUSS, Logic Pro, Vectorworks, and Affinity Photo. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if they had a program like Vectorworks up there. So they're definitely speaking to the professionals out there and wanting to bring them back in and say, look, we've got a great roadmap. Here we're proving that we're capable of doing it. The taste that we gave you last year with the M1, uh, you know, that's that was just a teaser. Now we're starting to get serious. And you know, when it comes down to dollars and cents, uh, you know, when you're spending six grand on a piece of hardware that's that's pumping out, uh, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in, of revenue a day, uh, I think is pretty significant. It was nice to see 
VectorWorks mentioned, I think, as far as I know, VectorWorks is the first BIM application native to the Mac for Apple Silicon. Every other application is currently a running in Rosetta. Uh, so they're clearly ahead of the curve and seeing the benefits of the speed in that. So clearly these are going to be fast machines. And in the near future, I'm sure we're going to start seeing some benchmarks come out and, and other things. But let's get into some of the other features of the laptops. I think it's interesting that these are only available in silver and space gray. And I've heard some rumors or maybe some speculation that these machines really were probably intended to be announced this summer, maybe at WWDC, but due to supply chain issues and chip issues caused by the pandemic, that maybe they're a little later than they should have been. Because we've seen Apple come out with more colorful computers with the iMac, the rumors that uh, there are going to be more colors in the uh, MacBook Airs coming out maybe next spring. So I do find it interesting, although Apple's been pretty consistent with their pro products being not colorful. Yep. And maybe that'll just be restricted to the iMac and maybe the MacBook Air because they're more consumer-focused computers. Uh, but only the two colors there. And interestingly enough, something else I want to touch on is now we have a 16 and 14-inch model. And I, I don't even have, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they, they mentioned the pixel counts. And I, I believe the note I took was that the 14-inch display has more pixels than the previous 16-inch model. And they really pushed the bezels way out to the edges or very, very, very small bezels on these devices. One of the things that came out of that is that now we have a notch in the screen because they still have to have the camera there. And so now there's a notch. So when you look at your menu bar now on these MacBook Pros, there's a notch there. It's a very much like the iPhone. And there's been some people online that are complaining about this. Now I haven't seen it in person, but it is interesting how Apple just kind of breezed past this. They showed a lot of imagery with some very dark background screens or most of the computers being used in dark mode, which changes the color of the menu bar. So it it's very dark and you don't really see that notch. Personally, I've never had a real issue with the notch on the iPhone. To me, it it seems more, and I think I've mentioned this before, it seems like I've gained space because the notch, instead of being all the way, or instead of the the bezel. edges of the yeah. screen bezel being all the way across flat, to me, it's like, oh, hey, we carved out some extra space to put these other items up here. And yeah. that's the way I've always seen it. And I, and I, I know it's up to your own perception, but I kind of see this the same way. There's really nothing in the middle of my menu bar. So I don't necessarily have a problem, but you know, we'll have to see these things in person to see how they how they actually look. Going back to your comment about colors, I personally I don't think we'll ever see any you know any if if any color variation whatsoever on the pro levels. I mean, it, it's they appeal with whimsy uh, on the consumer level. So the things like the MacBook Air, it was the standard iPhone 13, iPhone 12 that they came out with the lavender on. You know, they can afford to speculate in the in that market because it's so much larger. 
you know the the professional market is smaller but they spend a lot more right and you've got fewer people but buying much higher value uh, equipment because they can make money off it you know so it doesn't it doesn't have to be just about how much you're paying for the equipment it's how much revenue you're going to generate um you know and uh but when it comes to when it comes to the notch in particular there are a couple of perspectives that we can take one is that apple's already been training us for the last 3 or 4 years uh for life with a notch right so this shouldn't be uh, news to anybody and we shouldn't be uncomfortable with it you know we'll see it and we'll be like oh this is actually quite normal for me and I don't know why um, but when you when you look at the menus sure if you're using a MacBook Air and you're using it in a in a scaled mode where you're getting a larger type and less screen screen real estate yeah you know what if you're using a program like mail that's got seven or eight different drop down menus they're going to have to make some accommodations to push that onto the other side of the notch uh my my poor imac has got maybe 20 different menu bar <laughs> menu <laughs> bar items you know between dropbox between onedrive between uh you know, different programs like TeamViewer and Zoom now running and all these other things like Plex and 1Password all taking up space in the menu bar. Yes, it's encroaching on that space. But as you were talking about the pixel width dimensions, uh, we've got uh, 3,000 pixels wide on the 14. You know, so it's a lot of pixels to play with. And for most professional users, it's going to be maxing out on their screen real estate even if you've got like eight or nine menu menu items on the left hand side, they're very likely going to be well within the notch. Yeah, I definitely think so. The other interesting part about these new machines is, I'll, I'll mention the Touch Bar last, but now the addition <laughs> of an HDMI port, three Thunderbolt four ports, or maybe three USB C ports. One of them is probably a Thunderbolt four. I don't have that uh, maybe correct, but and then you've got an SD card slot. So I know for photographers or anyone who's using a more professional camera, that's a big deal because now you can just pull your SD card out, pop it into your MacBook Pro and pull the files off. So I think that's a big deal. The HDMI port you mentioned to connect to monitors or TVs. I think that's another big thing. Adding the MagSafe port back is a big deal. And my understanding is that is just literally a cable. So you've got your your power brick that's USB-C, and you've got a cable now that's USB-C on one side and MagSafe on the other. Awesome. And that's it. So that's really I like it. You know, there's not a whole lot of not, not a whole lot of fanciness there, but it works. Um, it's kind of sad that maybe it would have been nice, similar to the new iMac, where maybe that cable could have carried Ethernet along to it and maybe the adapter has an ethernet port on it like the iMac that would have been cool for when you want to plug into ethernet you could just do it off the power brick but that would be nice maybe that's not possible well, but next time yeah maybe maybe eventually that'll happen but i mean so it seems like and you mentioned it that in the last decade or so apple's had a lot of issues with their laptops you know they they've taken things away they've added stuff but they've never really kind of made the Goldilocks Apple MacBook. Yeah. And this seems to be maybe that model. Now we haven't actually seen the keyboard yet, but if it's anything like their current keyboards, everybody seems to like those. It's got 
the additional ports that people say they've always wanted. And they got rid of the touch bar, which a lot of people have not liked. I have never actually used a Mac with a touch bar, so I have no opinion on it at all. But if they want tactile keys, they got those back now. Uh, clearly, the touch bar was not a big hit, and they didn't push that. I think they realized it pretty quickly because we never saw any improvements to it or any additional software features that were for it. So, But it seems like Apple, maybe around 2015, when they introduced the uh, the real uh, what is it, the butterfly keyboard and some of the other features they took all the ports off of the off of those that came out in 2015 and they realized pretty quickly that this was not the laptop people wanted i don't know why they pushed it but that's they pushed that and it didn't happen and then they seem to have been over the last 5 or 6 years kind of in this period of like well we'll we'll try and do a few little corrections along the way but you can definitely now as we're in 2021 and we've seen these new laptops come out, it was like Apple kind of went back to the drawing board and said, what do we really need to do? And oh, by the way, we're going to do our own Apple Silicon. So now we can really push the boundaries yeah. of what these machines can do. And so I'm sure Tim Cook and the rest of the executive team were so frustrated over the last three or four years because they knew what they were working towards but yet they couldn't get it out yet. And so now it's like, okay, everyone, here it is. This is what we've been working on for the last four or five years, maybe longer when it comes to Apple Silicon on the Mac. Here it all is. And if you think about it, not only did they have to do it from a hardware perspective, but they had to get their software up to speed as well. You know, And with Catalyst or Mac Catalyst, and bringing all of these things and allowing the operating system, which, oh, by the way, they didn't mention today anything about Monterey, Monterey. The, next, yep. the next operating system. I suspect since these machines are coming out next week, that we'll likely see Monterey drop either later this week or potentially next week. But I do think it's interesting that They've had a lot of work to do from a hardware perspective and a software perspective over the last few years. And I'm sure there are some champagne corks going off in Apple today going, okay, we're finally there. We've answered everybody's questions. We've gotten rid of the touch bar. We've added your ports back. We, we did that. And on top of that, yes, we finally improved the camera. <laughs> and we've finally added all these things that everybody has really wanted. This is this is like the ultimate laptop from Apple. I just want to go on the record by saying that me personally, I don't actually really like the shape, the bottom half of the body. Not my style. It 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 reminds me uh, of the of the titaniums, the G4 titaniums when they came out. Very kind of similar. Uh, you kind of have it had a boxy quality to it, but you had this you know very defined kind of. I want to say. <laughs> I want to say like a seven pixel radius, uh, you know, curve to it because it's very much like uh, it's very much like a lot of their iconography, just in the way the curvature is designed. Um, but you know, that's kind of what Apple's been doing. They're you know they've really dug deep into their DNA and said, okay, you know, what are some of the best things that we've done 
Uh, what are the biggest mistakes that we've made? Uh, let's bring them all together and kind of make the world a good place again and, you know, kind of heal all the broken relationships with the professionals and we'll give them everything that they want. We'll show them that we've listened to them and on top of it, we're going to blow them out of the water with battery life and performance, right? And I think in that regard, I think they've done incredibly well with these. I, I, I'm probably... I, I've got a client who put in an order for a 16-inch uh, about a month ago, and it's been supply-constrained for, you know, ever since we actually placed the order. So they're probably going to be first in line to be getting one of these. So I may have my hands on one of these pretty soon. Um, but, you know, they do all all Thunderbolt 4 ports. Okay. Right? So they're not just USBs. They're, they're fully Thunderbolt across all three ports. Um but yeah, I mean, you're right. They fixed they fixed everything. You know, they had to take a lot of risks and potentially irritate a lot of people, which they did. Um, but you know, despite all of their missteps, the the design iterations along the way that got us to this point were actually kind of nice. I like the designs of the old laptops. Um, you know, I can't wait to have one of these in my hands. Um, but they're really they're kind of they're really pulling everything out of their DNA in order to actually build this. So I, I, I think it's going to go down very well, you know, yeah. and, and it will actually give professionals something to talk about uh, when they're having conversations with their, uh, you know, with their counterparts who like to poo-poo the Mac platform. Sure. Um, and probably attract a few gamers, I think, in the process, or at least game developers. I don't know what it's going to do to that industry, to be honest. Um, but, you know, that always... You know, that always seems to be, you know, seems to be in the background as well. And I think their little dig at MSI is probably exactly directed in that direction. Might be. If I had to make a wild speculation here, Johnny Ive left three years ago, maybe uh, something like that. And he was kind of on his way out a year or two before that. He was preoccupied with Apple Park. and. Johnny Ives, brilliant designer. I mean, I take nothing away from him, but there seemed to be this relentless drive to make everything thinner. Every Mac laptop was thinner than the next. And if we couldn't make it thinner, we were going to make the edges thinner. And I think we saw that in the design of the laptops from 2015 to, to, to now. Mm-hmm. Is that you know we're we're going to make them thinner at the edges so that we can make everything feel different, and 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 I know Johnny Ive was likely involved was likely involved in the iPad Pro and that's just flat with flat edges. I don't know how what his involvement was with the iPhone 12, uh, if any. But what I I think is interesting here is that Apple said, "Hey, forget the thinness." We understand these are laptops that are going to be moved around. They don't have to be thinner, thinner, thinner every single time. And let's fill this thing out. What can we put into these corners that are more boxy? Hey, guess what? We can put a little bit more battery. Wouldn't people want 10 hours or mm-hmm. what did they say? Up to 21 hours of video playback, 10 hours more. Now, part of that is because of the chip process, you know, because the efficiency of the chip but I have to guess that they can just physically put more things in these devices and make them cool better when you have a little bit more volume. And I think if I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe these are slightly thicker than the previous yeah. models. 
point eight mil. Uh, point six mil. Yeah. Okay. I was comparing. It was yeah. Not very much, but but again, this reversal of thinness mm-hmm. for thinness sake, and I think we saw the same thing with the iPhone thirteen is slightly thicker than the iPhone twelve. Yeah. And yet it's got phenomenal battery life beyond like one to two hours, depending on the device more than each device. So I think Apple's realized, okay, maybe we don't have to make it another 0.6 millimeters thinner and compromise our battery life. Let's make it 0.6 millimeters thicker and blow everybody away. Well, I I think you're really hitting the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it was with Johnny Ive, it was designed for the sake of design, you know, and this is, we're a hardware company. We make the best hardware and we make the best operating system. Let's put together a device that actually really kind of uh, ticks all of those boxes for everybody. And, you know, and later on, I'm sure two generations down the road, you know, they can start going thinner again if they want to, you know, but without kind of resetting the bar, which they've we've seen them do all over the place uh, historically. Um, you know, my favorite example is um, with uh, photos and iPhoto, right? And with pages, they irritated a lot of people when they went from iPhoto to photos and they stripped everything away. And for the first year or two, it was a feature poor, uh, horrible piece of software that everybody disliked, but it leveled the playing field. And once they leveled the playing field, they were able to build and build and build and build and build. And here we are four or five years later. Uh, Photos is a very robust, uh, extens- extendable uh, uh, program with a plug-in architecture. They never would have been able to do with, with iPhoto, right? So now what they're doing, if you if you take that kind of perspective and you apply it to something like this, we have a piece of hardware that says, that resets the bar and says, okay, this is what we need to build for our customers. This is what we need to build for performance, uh, for robustness, for all the features that people actually need, bring back everything that they really wanted. And from here, we can carry on innovating beyond this and work within that constraint. Because yeah, sure, make it a bit fatter. You can always go smaller. You can't keep going bigger in order to accommodate things. Uh, except in situations like this, right? So it it resets the place from which they can begin to kind of innovate again. The last few things I want to mention on this one that we haven't really touched on is the display is new. It's a, what they mentioned, a ProMotion 120 megahertz display that has a, a variable speed megahertz level like the iPad Pro. It uh, they called it a liquid retina HDR display, which seems to be permeating their entire line now. And now we're seeing it on the Mac on both models. So that's mm-hmm. impressive that we get it. So oftentimes, and traditionally, you'd see the, the smaller model not get some of the same features, but basically a 14 and a 16 inch model, as far as the display is concerned, and pretty much everything else. Because if I uh, remember correctly, in my notes say here that you still get the same six speaker sound system with spatial audio, even in the 14 compared to the Mm -hmm. 16. So better audio, better mics, uh, better camera. I've mentioned that uh, previously. Now we at least have a 1080. I'm sure some people are disappointed. Maybe they wanted a a 4K camera, but I think for video, uh, for doing things like we're doing right now, recording through Zoom, 
1080 is really all you need for that. No one, no one wants to see your nose hairs. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs well, to see me in 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I do think, though, uh, again, going back to, I think these laptops were meant to come out earlier this year. There's no center stage. So these were, I think that's another example of devices that were intended to come out earlier this year before center stage was blew up and became a, a big thing because we saw it first on the iPad pros that were just earlier this year. And then we saw them on the iMac. So clearly the development cycles here between these devices are not synchronized. And so now we've got laptops that are coming out later, but maybe should have come out sooner and really should probably have center stage. And I, my guess would be a year from now, when we see a revised model in these, maybe an M2 uh, Pro and Max m models, we'll probably see a center stage camera in these devices. Yeah, but I think too, you know, I think it's also worth uh, worth recognizing the the function of what this laptop is supposed to be. It's not supposed to represent, you know, uh, uh, an iPad that you're holding right. in your hands uh, that, you know, fairly close uh, that requires a, an ultra wide lens in order to be able to function. And it's really the ultra wide lens that lends itself to the, the functionality of the center stage. So, you know, in terms of, in that respect, you know, I think they need to be able to differentiate themselves about uh, against their other products so that they're not cannibalizing some of the other lines and features, um, you know, but, the display itself, I mean, is a is another one of those examples of them going big and crazy, uh, and then kind of engineering it down. Uh, the technology that's in this display, uh, the Liquid Retina XDR display, uses the same uh, mini LED function that they had in the six thousand dollar XDR display that they uh, that they um, uh, announced with the Mac Pro when it came out. You know, that was a honking piece of hardware that required so much cooling that they actually had to engineer a whole perforation and cooling system uh, for that whole thing. But you know what? For every person who went out and bought one of those XDR displays, uh, they are to thank for the technology that is actually inside this MacBook Pro. Because if they hadn't been so outrageous as to make one of those in the first place and have people buy them, uh, we would never have the display that's in here right now. Um, so the mini LEDs, what they do uh, is they, they provide hundreds of different uh, independently controlled lighting zones uh, all, over, all over the display. Instead of having like one big homogenous backlight, uh, it's a huge way for them to be able to save power um, that you can actually independently light different, uh, different areas um, so that they can have much more tonal and contrast control over the whole display. And that tech, the technology takes a lot of uh, messing around with them, fussing in order to perfect. And so the fact that they've been able to take it down from that big display down into one of these on both the 14 and the 16, I think is significant, you know, and they talk about it, but I don't think it's something that really should be downplayed. You know, yeah. I think the display is actually probably as uh, equal in um, significance to the laptop as, as the, uh, the M1 Pro and M1 Max are.
Well, a couple of last things I want to at least mention, we don't have to get too much into it, but a couple of uh, notes here is that they mentioned that the 64 megabytes of unified memory is twice the amount of memory on any pro PC notebook, that the video power, and I, I may not be saying this exactly correctly, but they mentioned that the video power of this machine with the M1 Max is more powerful than the 28 core Mac Pro, not the iMac Pro, but the 28 core Mac Pro with an afterburner card, which is is mind boggling. Uh, 21 hours, I think I mentioned this, of video playback, 10 hours more than before. So that's that's almost a 2x times with the battery performance. Mm -hmm. And even 50%, like we mentioned on the AirPods, 50% 50% charging in 30 minutes using fast charging on these devices as well. So 30 minutes in, you're at 50% capacity, which is 10 hours just about. And you're, I mean, that's like all day battery life with a 30 minute charge. Mind boggling. As I mentioned earlier, an, the ultimate MacBook Pro. I'm speechless. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, th- there really isn't much more to say than yeah. that uh you know uh like i said the proof will be once these things get really uh torn down in terms of benchmarking and comparisons against other gpus as well yeah. uh but yeah i mean it's prores being able to dial down the performance on the display uh the re- or at least the refresh rate uh, the mini LED being able to light independent zones, uh, the offloading from the GPU uh, to a hardware accelerated uh, uh, controller, uh, I think is significant. All of these things contribute to the battery life. And then the overall reduction in uh, in CPU footprint in terms of uh, power consumption is significant. You know, we're talking about people that use these things uh, on the road. They do worry about burning their laps. Um, my kids over the pandemic, they actually had heat, like these heat welts on their laps sometimes from, you know, sitting on the couch with their laptops uh, for so long. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about gaming and high performance computing, uh, the the thickness uh, very often of some of these and weight of some of these larger uh GPU intensive laptops uh, really boiled down to how to balance out the actual architecture of the of the logic board of the GPU itself and combine that with a massive battery in order to be able to support some kind of reasonable usage time. Um, so yeah, once again, I think they're firing on all cylinders. I think they've checked off all the boxes. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be happy about this. Uh, I think the only people that aren't going to be happy about us are the people who don't know how they want to feel about Intel anymore uh, and what their roadmap is showing. Intel is so far behind on ARM. Uh, I don't know how they're going to catch up, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not a topic that I that I watch, uh, but I know that uh, reading an article the other day just talking about Intel CEO back in June... Um, talking about how they're, you know, in, investing in, you know, ARM and, you know, doing their best to catch up with Apple and they want to win Apple back and all of that jazz. Uh, I don't see how they're going to do it without, you know, without putting in the years that it takes in order to to develop these. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but I think for the professional market, I think it's a big win. I think Apple has redefined what 
is possible with a with a laptop or a notebook now with these new MacBook Pros. So you've heard our thoughts on these new MacBook Pros and the other items that were discussed earlier about music. What did you think of the event? Let us know on Twitter. I'm at N-A-P-A-N-N. Or on Facebook, you can search for Apple for Architects on Facebook and follow the page and join the Apple for Architects Facebook group and let us know. Before we go, I want to thank my guest, Eitan Rubellini of MaxN for joining me. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Neil. Let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at maxzen.ca. Uh, we're a, a small niche Apple specialist IT consulting firm in Victoria, BC. Uh, but we also do remote support across Canada uh, for some of our clients. And um, yeah, come and have a look, see what we have to offer. And if there's a way that we can help in the future, we'd love to love to listen and hear what your needs are. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neil. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this special episode of Inside the Apple Studio. Be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast player by searching for Inside the Apple Studio and tap the follow button. If you like this special episode, let me know. And if you're enjoying Inside the Apple Studio, be sure to leave a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. Inside the Apple Studio is a production of Apple for Architects at appleforarchitects.com. Atan Robolini. God dang it. Rubellini, right? Rubini, Rubini. Rubini. Okay. Atan Rubini, right? Yeah. Oh, you're like, no, that wasn't good, but that's no, good that's enough. That's good. That's perfect. Okay. Atan Rubellini, a certified Macintosh <laughs> consultant and Rubini. owner. God damn it. Rubini. <laughs> I love it.